welcome back to the second episode of the Bench Warmer Podcast, the only podcast in the world talking about football, the only one you need to go to if you want to talk about football. Of course, I am JP Acosta here with Kevin Fielder. Kevin, what's going on with you? Well, you know, I I, I think we were going to spend this whole episode talking about college football and then the NFL just decided to fuck shit up like they always do. Um, oh, yeah, the NFL is going straight back. Oh, you guys want to talk about college football today? Nope. Nah. We had a whole slate of super wild card weekend. We had the slime bowl. And then a coach got fired. So we can so imagine watching a slime bowl. Like I watched on Nickelodeon and that was the greatest content I've ever seen. There was there was so much art in it. There was the Cordell Patterson yelling, yo, what the F? Dog, that was the funniest part because it was just like it was off a flag and it's like something on the bears and he goes the <laughs> and I was like did they catch that? <laughs> it's rare if they caught that. This is goaded. But I mean, I I, I had to do a double take it. watching the game. I had to do a double take watching the game because I was like, wait, did he just say what I thought he said? He didn't just say what I thought he said. No, Dude. he said what I thought he said. <laughs> I would have loved if the announcers kind of went, oh, he said some unsavory language there. Nate, can you explain what that means? <laughs> and Nate, just, Nate just sits there sits there looking into the camera like a gym from the office where it's just like, I don't know if I can do this. Some <laughs> players flossing on the sideline. <laughs> I'm telling you, they missed the game that they should have done it with. Which was the Steelers Browns game because I want to see them try to explain the Miles Garrett hit. No, I think this game was perfect for the Brown <laughs> game. He subjected children nationally to the art that is Mitch Trubisky. <laughs> and then he won oh. uh, Nickelodeon Most Valuable Player. <laughs> he won Nickelodeon's Most Valuable Player, which I'm sure he's going to take into his contract negotiations and get a lifetime deal. <laughs> Give him all the money. Mahomes didn't do it. Deshaun Watson didn't do it. Mitch Trubisky did. So Give not only so not only is Mitch Trubisky now a pro bowler, but he is also uh, the 2021 Nickelodeon Valuable Player. Doug, I love at the end of the game, after they scored the touchdown with Jimmy Graham, the slime cannon shot off. And it was the most miserable slime <laughs> And then the Bears just decided, no, we're not kicking the extra point. We're just going to go home. Like it was, it was so miserable. We'll get to our recap of the uh, games during Wild Card Weekend, but of course we're gonna start off with the breaking news that literally happened as we were planning the show. Um, Doug Peterson is out as Eagles head coach. Kevin, I mean, this was a shock. Yeah, I, I, I had this this feeling that like this might happen, and if this happened, I wouldn't be totally shocked. And then as the offseason progressed, I was like, well, they didn't fire him on that Black Monday day that everyone talks about. So are they not going to fire him? And then, what, now a week or two later, we finally get the news. Like, yeah, we just decide to fire him. Look, I'll be honest. I don't see how any coach would want this job. There is nothing intriguing about this job for me. Nothing. Yeah, it's we were going over it before the pod, but, man, they are – in a real rough spot in terms of you don't know if you have a quarterback. So, I mean, you can't even go get a quarterback in the draft because you just spent early capital last year on a quarterback. They have no cap space. 
and you have what seems to be a power grip on roster control by the GM and the owner, I don't know if anybody want to coach that team. And my thing about it was it wasn't that they fired him. I thought I was surprised they fired him. I was surprised that when, because every other team with a head coach opening has interviewed every possible candidate. You're yeah, you're so behind you're, eight you're a step behind. You're so you're, you're behind a step behind, ball. and you got nothing. Yeah, I mean, and you you got nothing to prove for it now. I mean, they're so behind the eight ball when it comes to interviewing candidates and finding that guy. That I don't know. Again, who would want to coach that team willingly? What what do you have there that you can say, yeah, I like this. I mean, you got Fletcher Cox. He's <laughs> but he might be gone. He's a key cog in the defense. You got Darius Slay, who was injured but still a good corner. But on offense, you you don't know. And the first thing on offense is, what are you going to do with Carson Wentz? And that's really the main question. I don't I don't know what I'd do with Carson Wentz. I don't know if a team would want to trade for him because of his contract and how he played. But you can't. You can't go into next season saying Carson is the starter without having an open quarterback competition. Yeah, and then you then you get into this thing of like, have we seen enough out of Jalen Hurts in the what six six or so games that he's played to show that he's a starting quarterback in the NFL? Because it's no, it's never a good look when you get benched for Nate Sudfeld. It's never a good look there, and th- this whole idea that there is more to this job than. The, the things on face value, I, I just don't get. I mean, you're what I think. Uh, I think when I looked at it, you were negative 50 in cap, negative 50 million in cap, not negative 50. Uh, the only guys you can really cut are key cogs or guys you just recently signed. And who the hell's trading for Carson Wentz? Washington's in division. Do you trade him in division? Pittsburgh probably doesn't go after him because they've got uh, you know, players that they have to pay. Uh, you know, Miami's obviously not going to go after him. They're, uh, they're looking right to Sean Watson. That's because he's a clear upgrade over Tua. Uh, I just look through all these, these quarterback open spots, and I see one potential place, which is Indianapolis, but that also requires uh, Phillip Rivers retiring, which we don't know if he does. This is by far the worst job in the NFL. And by far. I definitely agree with, like you- – it's not a good look getting benched for Nate Sudfeld, but it's also not a good look to be a healthy scratch for a game, including Nate Sudfeld, where you just you don't even you don't even dress out. Like that's not even getting like asked out on a date. You're not even being considered. You're not even being asked to the dance. You can't even get in. And that's what they're doing with Carson Wentz. And it's legitimately the worst job in the NFL that's open right now because you have no space, cap space. And if you go out and decide you need a quarterback, you go draft a quarterback, you now have three quarterbacks that you drafted in the first two rounds since 2016. Yeah. And you legitimately don't know if any of them are good. But And so so, so here's the thing we talked about yesterday, and I, I think this is probably the best way to close – or the last episode, so I think this is probably the best way to close it off. We talked about every job last episode, and we were able to find something positive about each job. It, even in the case of the Texans, it was, hey, they had Deshaun Watson, or you had a ton of picks because you traded Deshaun Watson. There is value there. 
the, the Falcons have the fourth overall pick and they have a decent roster in place, have really good offense questions on defense. Then obviously the jobs who are over the cap space, the Jaguars have the number one overall pick. The Jets have the number two overall pick. Even the Lions have positives. What positive do you look at for a team like the Eagles, who in 2016 was about to fire? And that Doug is absolutely wild. Like they were going to fire him after one year, the year before they won the Super Bowl. And it's just, it's so crazy what's going on there. And I legitimately can only describe it as crazy because it seems like Jeff, Jeffrey Lurie, the owner, the owner of the Eagles, Howie Roseman, GM, Doug Peterson, they were not all on the same page, clearly. And it's shocking to see that that group won a Super Bowl. That brain trust won a Super Bowl. And, and, and you, 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 you want to know the best part of this? You want to know the best part of this? In 2016, uh, the year that they were supposedly about to fire Doug Peterson and by all hire Jim Schwartz, who was their defensive coordinator at the time, was seven and nine. They were seven and nine. They weren't even bad. And they had they had a rookie Carson once who played played well at points, struggled at other points. It's you know the Carson once experience. And they were just gonna they were just gonna cut ties. Just say, you know, this this is enough. And now if you're Doug Peterson, where do you see and we're gonna wrap up wrap up our Peterson talk in a little bit, but where do you, what teams do you see as maybe being a good fit for Doug Peterson? New York. Obvious. That's the first one that I thought of. He has the ties to the GM of the Jets. They need a head coach. They need an offensive guy. Doug Peterson would be the perfect spot. But makes a lot of sense. I do think if you're bringing in Doug Peterson, you have to ask him what the heck went on. In Philadelphia, because there were not, I will say, not everything that happened in Philly was his fault. However, no, I, I, I think we, I think we both agree on that. That offense, that point, that it's not all his fault. That offense looked horrific at times. Some of the in-game decisions were not good. I will never forget uh, the game that they tied this season. They had like a fourth down and eleven, right outside of field goal range. And they try and either I don't I don't remember if they tried to kick the field goal or punt the football away in overtime. Show some balls, man. Show some balls. Show something to make it to, to make it worth my time. I, why are you lose basically conceding the win in an overtime game against the Cincinnati Bengals? I think the one I'll never forget is against the Ravens when they kept going for two. And some of the times going for two may sense. But when you end up losing the game by one, it doesn't look good at all. And so you're left at the point like, maybe you should have just kicked. Maybe once. You don't have to go for two every time. It's like when you're playing Madden with like a seven-year-old and they always go for two because, you know, two is better than one. And in some cases, yeah, it's the right decision to go for two. But sometimes just take the one. <laughs> like you, yes. I, I found it. I found it. I found it. Oh my God. I found it. Oh my God. I found it. So there is about a minute left in the, or there's about 20 seconds left in the game. They're at the Cincinnati 46 after a uh, delay a game penalty. 
fourth and fourth and seventeen, fourth and twelve. Most normal people would say go for it. There's 19 seconds left. You hadn't looked good to begin the season. Let's let's try and get some momentum. If we don't get it, yeah, you know we give them 20 seconds, but that's whatever. And they punt the football. Yeah, I mean, you're definitely have to ask him about some of those coaching decisions, especially on offense. But I do think he's deserving of – he might be deserving of another shot, especially in New York. But Absolutely. I think, I think you should go out and try and get him another job because I think he's a good enough head coach. He's won a Super Bowl with Nick Foles of all human beings. I mean, there is a reason there to believe that he is still a good coach. But moving on to this week's rather incredible first week of uh, the playoffs, Super Wildcard Weekend. I thought it was an amazing week of football. They had some great games, some games that were kind of boring, but it had everything you needed in between, nonstop. I mean, I was sitting on my, on my couch for like 12 hours on Saturday and Sunday. Kevin, what did you think of uh, this weekend's games? I thought it was the perfect storm of good games and good matchups. Like, I think the even the, like, the one, you know, obviously taking away the Saints-Bears game, which I never thought was going to be a great game. You had the, the Washington-Tampa Bay game, which was a really good way to start wildcard weekend off with back-and-forth points, back-and-forth action from a guy who is was like not on a football team four weeks ago and even to close it off I thought that Brown Steelers game was better than what it was I thought there was actually like there was some excitement there late in the game yes it was a an 11 point win and the Browns had led by like 19 at one point but I still felt like there was excitement up until probably about those final five minutes which made it work yeah I legitimately loved every game this week but we're gonna start with the reflections that we came up with for the first game of the weekend, which was Colts at Buffalo. Um, I Before the games on our last episode, I chose Indianapolis to win. And for a good moment there, I was going to, I felt I was going to be right. And then Josh Allen happened. And there were points oh during the game where I'm just like, yeah, there's nothing you can do about that. That last drive before half with the two sideline, sideline throws, First rolling to his right and rolling to his left to Gabe Davis. I was just like, yeah, you can't guard that. There's no way you can defend that better than Indianapolis did. Maybe don't let them break contain, but that was an absurd throw and a throw we maybe don't see from just Josh Allen in years one or two. Yeah, he I think he I think he finally showed to a lot of the world that yeah, this is the same Josh Allen that we saw last year even. Uh, he was making throws that we hadn't seen him make last year. I still think there are some problems in his game. I don't think he's this perfect quarterback, but he's a lot better than what we've made him out to be. And so, at least in my case, you know, I, I, I was always on that, that leash of like, yeah, I think he's a good quarterback, but I still think there are problems with his game. There clearly aren't many problems with his game anymore. Yeah. He is really becoming a complete quarterback, and I think that is complete credit to Brian Dabble and their quarterback coach, Ken Jones. You know, it, I, I think that, yeah, and then obviously, that, I think obviously adding big time weapons as well helps. Adding a Stephon Diggs, having some semblance of a run game, even if it's kind of hit or miss at points, there is reason to be excited for the Buffalo Bills in this playoff run. 
I, I think that they could compete with the Chiefs. I don't think they can beat the Chiefs, but I think they can compete with the Chiefs, and that's all you can really ask for in your first real playoff shot in probably about 20 years. Yeah, and if I could talk about Indianapolis real quick, I thought Indianapolis played about as perfect of a game as you could have. You got the best game out of Phillip Rivers that you had gotten this season, but it was a small mistake. Jonathan Taylor dropping two passes. Zach Pascal dropping passes. The offsides before on that drive before half. Um, missing on that fourth and goal where it was just a drop pass. It was a good throw, good play. It's just poor execution. They just got to catch the ball. But outside of that, Indianapolis played about as great of a game as you could have against Buffalo. And I, I, I also thought there were there was some weird game management issues from Indianapolis. I, I thought that timeout in third quarter was a little bit weird. I thought that there what there were like what two timeouts in the second quarter that I just didn't get in a sense that you know I think I'm a firm believer when you get to the second half to be saving your timeouts for the spots that matter. And that's usually the late game situations. And how much does it change that last drive where you put, you know, it's the typical Phillip Rivers drive down a score, needing to drive the length of the field to win the game. And how different is it if you have timeouts where you can work the middle of the field, where you're not just trying to throw out of bounds on every single play, because that's the only way you can try and get down the field. And you could really tell near the end of the game that, Philip Rivers' arm strength is a problem. Oh, boy. Especially it's shot. It's gone, man. He was killing them in the middle of the field on those crossing routes, those mesh routes. Those were works of art. Frank Reich drew those up perfectly. But at the end of the day, you needed somebody to get the ball down the field. And I don't think Philip yeah. Rivers did that. And congratulations to Buffalo. They're moving on. Um, and then we went to the next game, which was, I believe, the – oh, man. Which – which Was it Rams? Yeah, it was Rams Seahawks. And, oh, my God. Oh, what a game. That what was a, game. a master class in defense. That was – That was that was probably the best defensive performance I've watched. That was here. Sean McVay. Brian Staley came out there. They called a perfect defensive was, game. A perfect defensive game. It was a game. shutout. It was Randy Johnson entering, starting the game, heater, every single, every single pitch. And they shut that passing game down. And you could tell the deficiencies of the Seahawks mm-hmm. offense. You know, with everybody saying, like, let Russ cook and throw the ball. But when they go to that split safety – And those two high looks that take away the deep shots, there needs to be some intermediate or short game or something. And Seattle does not have that. No, they don't. It's it's a deep and run the football. And which is why I was a little confused with the news that came out today that they want to run the football more next year. I don't think that's the solution. I think it's trying to find the intermediate game. Because I don't think it's necessarily running it more. It's just running it better. Like you have to, they didn't mix up run and pass as well. They didn't set up for that second second down play action. They didn't set up that third down play action where every pass is a deep shot. Yeah. If you can move those two high safeties into one high, 
then it'll work. But they basically said, and Brandon Staley, again, wizard at defense, especially in the modern NFL, is basically daring you to run the ball. Just go ahead and run it. You're not going to beat us deep. And it helps having the best corner in football by far and the player by far. You know what's crazy? I was thinking about this watching the game. The Rams might legitimately have the two best defensive players in the league on the same team. Oh, very, 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 quite honestly, probably true. You have the best, you you absolutely have the best second, uh, the best defensive back in football, and you have the best defensive lineman in football. And if we're going to get in the argument of what positions matter the most on a football field, especially on defense, I'd argue it's having a really good defensive lineman and having a really good cornerback. And they have not only really good ones, they have truly elite ones and players who, when they retire, are going to be up there for conversations of the greatest of all time. Jalen has DK Metcalf on lockdown the whole game. Outside of that broken play, that touchdown, where Jalen Ramsey, they were playing zone, and he just got past the zone on a scramble. Jalen Ramsey only allowed, like, one catch when guarding DK Metcalf. I think I, I think the play that really proved that the the Rams had the Seahawks number was that that pick six by Darius oh Williams God. in the second quarter. He read that play he like a book. He read that play like a and book. And he said it after the game. He, knew it was he telegraphed that. And that goes telegraphed that. And they read they read the Seahawks. And I guess it helps having played them two times already, especially the week before. But he read that play perfectly. And that was the real turning point in the game. Because after that, yeah. I mean, the floodgates were open. And if we're going to talk about the Seahawks defense, I need to talk about one specific player. And that's um, Jamal Adams. Yeah. I'm not calling. Oh, yeah, the defensive end. The, the defensive end. Because they went after Jamal Adams in pass coverage. And he got cooked almost every play. Yeah. I mean – and they remember they traded two first round pick. They traded their first round pick for, him and it led them to not being able to guard anybody. It's and the way that they drew those plays up, where they got Cooper Cup on Jamal Adams, which is about as best a good matchup as you want. Cooper Cup won that matchup, and you have to ask yourself, you're Seattle. How do we put – where do we put Jamal Adams so we're not putting him in that situation? Because you can't do that again. Yeah, I, I think I think if you're going to – if you're going to claim that you're a safety, you should, be able, you should be able to do something in coverage. I'm not asking you to be elite in coverage. I'm asking you to be okay in coverage. I'm asking you to not be the most – the biggest liability in that secondary where I can't name half the guys in that secondary. And when you go out there and you trade two first-round picks and a second round and what, like a second-round pick for them, you better be able to do something, because if you're not, then you're a, you're a linebacker or you're a defensive end. There's I no mean, other way around that. When they brought him up near the line of scrimmage, he made some good plays in the box tackling. But again, in coverage, it was the Rams knew every pinpoint weakness of the of the Seahawks and just blasted it every time, every play on defense and offense. This was domination, and. Jared Goff didn't even have a working thumb. Legitimately, didn't no, have he a didn't. working thumb. But 
I guess if we're going we're moving on to the final game of the weekend, which was the Washington football team against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Buccaneers won 31-23 in a game that I was actually surprised was as close as it was. I thought it was going to be a blowout, especially with Alex Smith not playing. But there were some interesting aspects to each to the game that I'll get into later. But Kevin, what do you think? I thought it was a lot better than I expected. I think I predicted some like ten point win or something for the the Buccaneers because I didn't expect Taylor Heineke to play well, but he came out, and he balled, and he was clearly hurt in that fourth quarter. <laughs> he came out, he still mean- balled. I, I, it, he, he definitely made a case for at least being on the yeah, roster. Yeah, definitely made a case for being on the roster. Some of those, some of those passes, like the touchdown pass to uh, Steven Sims in the fourth quarter, that was a bucket throw in the corner of the end zone. Yeah, a play that no quarterback on the football team's roster could have made, and it gives some hope as for the football team is like, okay, we at least have a guy who can come in as a backup next year. But talking about Tampa Bay, I thought their offensive line did one of the best blocking jobs of this wild card round. They oh, a they master class of negated a master the pass rush. I mean, I think Deron Payne, the interior guys won a little bit, especially Deron Payne. But on the edges, Tristan Wirfs and Donovan Smith played amazing. Gronk, in the pass blocking, absolutely dominated. Ali Marpet, Ryan Jensen, those guys legitimately won that game for them. And Tom Brady, with time in the pocket against a cover two heavy team, like the football team, does what Tom Brady does with no pressure against zone. He, he slice plays. Up. And <laughs> you legitimately cannot ask for anything else from Washington except just get some pass rush especially in a zone defense, you, if you're going to play zone, you have to win with four. And Washington did not win, especially up the interior. Like, Jonathan Allen was negated that whole game. And it was an amazing job yeah. by that offensive line. I, I think the biggest concern for me going forward with this this Buccaneers team and – Next week, it doesn't get any easier when I mentioned what my biggest concern is, is can you stop a quarterback in the playoffs? Can you, st- you couldn't stop Taylor Heineke. Could, can you stop Drew Brees? I mean, we, we'll, we'll get into talk about Drew Brees and how he's probably not what he used to be, but he's still Drew effing Brees, and it's still a really good quarterback with a really good offensive weapons around him. I, I don't know. I'm a little concerned that they might not be able to stop. I have questions about their pass defense. Their run defense is one of the best in the league, but against the pass, yeah, they, I'm, I'm, uh, they let Heineke – I mean, the dude didn't wasn't even on the team until last month, and he balled. Yeah. So we're going to get to the Saints in a little bit, but it was a great game for Tampa on the offensive side. Now, Sunday's game, the first yeah. game – Baltimore versus Tennessee, and I know you said that the Rams' defense was the best defensive job you saw. This Ravens' defense had the best defensive game that I've seen them play in a long time. It was one of the best defensive games I saw of the weekend. might be the best. That that defensive line absolutely owned Tennessee. 
Calais Campbell, Brandon Williams, Pernell McPhee. I mean, Pernell McPhee absolutely washed every offensive tackle in the run game. And they can consistently reset the line of scrimmage. And they didn't allow any run lanes for Derek freaking Henry. He had like 41 yards on 18 carries. I mean, come on. That is, for a guy who ran for over 2,000 yards this season, holding him to 41 yards in an, in an entire game is a master class in terms of we're just going to outmuscle you. And this felt a lot like a, yeah, this felt like a rivalry game. Where it's like, we heard you talking all that yeah. stuff in week 11, and you came and stomped on the logo. How you like it? We're going to do it right back to you. We're going to do it right back to you. came out and just stomped them, especially on defense. Offense, it was a little rough the first half, but once Lamar scored on that touchdown run, which I mean, if you want to talk about touchdown Lamar. It's, it's Lamar. <laughs> there were legitimately – at least six players could have caught him. Three players had an angle. And Lamar's just like, yeah, forget your angle. Forget geometry. Pythagoras couldn't – I said on Twitter, Pythagoras couldn't Touchdown. for tackling Lamar Jackson. Because he's so <laughs> much better of an athlete than everybody else he steps on the field with. And it's literally terrifying. Yeah, he is – he is in every game that he plays – if he's not the best athlete, he is damn near close to the best athlete. Athlete, He is going to be second, at least, in every single game he plays. And you're going to have to try and figure out a way to make him throw the football. And I say try because it's a little easier said than done to make a guy like Lamar Jackson try and run or throw the football. Because if you get him in open space, it's 50 and, yards worth of touchdown every single And even when you try to make him throw the football, the Titans in the first half had a great plan. They didn't rough all the way. They put spies. They played zone. But if you go man playing against the Ravens, it's over. first off, I advise that you don't because you have a guy who can tackle Lamar Jackson in space. <laughs> Second, if you do, you need a guy who can tackle Lamar Jackson in space. That, that person doesn't exist. You just, just play zone. But even when they do that, I think what Greg Roman did in the second half in terms of mixing up the run game, because in the first half, it was just counter read or counter bash read, counter bash, zone read, deep shot. There was no immediate game. Yeah. Greg Roman mixed all of that up. I think they should just go straight to play action for the rest of the playoffs. For the rest of the time, Greg Roman is the offense coordinator. Just go play action. Your run game is so yeah. dynamic. Bring in Pat Ricard to be the fullback in the second half completely dominated for the Ravens during that second half. That was them. I think the men. they, they are one of the only teams in the NFL who in probably the last 20 years play a fullback 75% of the time. And they did. And they, they did on Sunday. They ran a fullback 75% of the time, 49 of their 65 snaps. And Ricard does a good job of blocking, man. He's, he's a 311-pound fullback who can catch the ball out the backfield. That's, that's really an yeah. One. He, 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 On that <laughs> touchdown play with Dobbins, it was literally just follow 42, and he'll just go and clear the way. And that's what they did. That's what that offense is built on. It's built on running the ball, having Lamar Jackson continue to be a threat to pull because if he pulls it, he can, he can run 
30, 40 yards and be the best athlete on the team. I don't think they're built necessarily to be the Chiefs because, one, I don't think they have the receivers for that. Hollywood Brown played great. Hollywood Brown played great. But there are times where he goes from being Hollywood Brown to being Ponte Verde Beach Brown or like like Kissimmee Brown. He he was Hollywood (laughs) Brown on uh, Sunday. But outside of him, I mean, when Willie Sneed is your best receiver consistently or Des Bryant, I mean, you can't drop back and throw the ball 40 times a game. But this was – no. All on the defense, I think. This was my best, my favorite defensive performance. Going back and watching it today, there were legitimately times where Pernell McPhee stacked and shedded an offensive lineman and threw him like he was 100 pounds lighter than he actually was. And I was just sitting there like, dang, they just got dominated. It wasn't that Tennessee called the wrong play or did the wrong move. They just got dominated up front in the run on both sides of the ball. And I think, I think what this shows us is that, look, I think all credit to Ryan Tannehill for rejuvenating his career and proving that he's an NFL starting quarterback, but he can't win you a Super Bowl. And I mean, it, it was a game like today where they needed him to, or yesterday where they needed him to step up and make the plays. And he didn't do it. They and he didn't do it consistently. And so they when you – yeah, when you have other teams daring you to throw it when your running back is Derrick Henry, you're not going to win many football games. And so that's my biggest problem with Ryan Tannehill is that, yes, he can lead you to the playoffs with a guy like Derrick Henry, but he's not going to lead you further than that. And so I think as long as they have Ryan Tannehill as their quarterback and they don't try and figure out something else on offense – they're consistently going to be a first or second round exit. They might make the championship game a few years and lose, but I don't ever see him making the Super Bowl without a good quarterback because teams are just going to start daring you to throw it and they're going to start stacking the box and putting seven or eight in the box and going, yeah, you know what? Beat me. Beat well, me. You won't. So speaking of teams with bad quarterbacks, we move on to the next game, the Nickelodeon Bowl, the Slime Bowl, <laughs> which is the New Orleans Saints versus the Chicago Bears. Now, when I say Moving on to a game with a bad quarterback, I think, personally, you can, you can put that on either team because I don't think Brees played especially like yeah. world beater Drew Brees, vintage Drew Brees. He did enough to essentially the first person to score 20 points is going to win. And they were just banking on the, the Bears not being able to score 20 points. <laughs> I mean, Which is probably a good thing to bank on. Like let's let's be honest. I mean, right now. there's not much to really say about this game other than, I mean, Chicago. What are you doing? Because their defense, their defensive line played phenomenal in this game. They played phenomenal. Their defense played great. But when you're out there so long, and it's a consistent three and out, you're back on the field. You come off the field three and out, you're back on the field. When you're on the field for so long, I think the Saints had like 35 minutes of possession compared to the Bears being in like the low 20s. When the defense is on the field for that yeah. long, they're going to wear down. And at this point, Chicago, what are you going to do at quarterback? What are you going to do on offense? Because even that offense itself, 
hope and pray. Not good. There's nobody on the offensive line where I'm like, yeah, that's a good offensive line. You don't have the quarterback for darn sure. You might have you might have ruined the relationship with Allen Robinson. He might not come back. So that leaves you with David Montgomery and Anthony Miller, Darnell Mooney. Maybe Anthony Miller. I mean, I heard this stat. I heard this stat on the podcast that I listened to, but that drop pass to Wims in the end zone was the second pass over 30 air yards that Mitch Trubisky threw this season. The second. The first one, the first one came in week 17. That's when we're really starting to open up the playbook. I mean, if you're scared to let your quarterback throw the ball down the field, you better have an amazing run game or you need a new quarterback. The Bears don't have either. Yeah, I mean, my my problem with this Bears team is that when you when you get down to it, you are going to be in a position where you cannot go out there and get the star quarterback, and you're going to have to try and get creative to get the star quarterback. But I I don't know who that quarterback is because you can't trade for Carson Wentz with this cap space. I don't think you're going to trade with. Tech, the Texans for Watson. So your your options now become do you trade up and try and get, you know, try and get in a position to try and get Zach Olson and Troy Lance, or do you stick where you are and try and get Mac Jones or <laughs> Kyle Trask? Or, you said Kyle Trask. <laughs> I, I I think I think the 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 last game Kyle Trask played in college kind of proved that he is a sum of parts more than a actual good quarterback and or and, you know that's a little concerning when you get the NFL and every team has good weapons I mean with the Bears they have so much money tied up and you don't really have draft capital because you traded draft picks to go up to get Anthony Miller you traded those picks to go up to get Mitch Trubisky you trade them to go up and get David Montgomery and Leo Mack I mean Leo Mack's Mack. worked out I mean, Leo Mack is still one of the best defenders on in the league but, I mean, giving a lot of money to Robert Quinn, I mean, okay, I guess. But there are so many holes on offense where I think you don't have the capital to go and get somebody to help. I think the answer for the Bears is to go out there and get another really good running back, keep David Montgomery, and just try and become a team that runs the ball down your throat because you've got no other answer right now. You have no other way to do it right now. And so you're going to have to try and get creative and you're not going to be able to beat teams through the air consistently. And so you're going to have to figure out a way to get that running game open. And rushing, I don't even know how many times they ran the football against New Orleans. I'll have to check that. But I think it was like 15 times total. We're talking about the Saints who won the game. They played a phenomenal game on defense. But I'm, I still got questions about this offense. I think – I don't think Drew Brees yeah. is that same guy where you're like, go win us the game. I think having Michael Thomas back helps a lot. Having Kamara and Latavius Murray will always help. But if you play, if you play man-to-man on Drew Brees' offenses, Drew Brees becomes a lot less efficient 
because he can't throw the ball down the field anymore. No, he is he is the dink and dunk master. And he dinks and dunks better than pretty much anyone else because he's so smart. And it helps but... to have a godlike creator in the open space like Alvin Kamara and Michael Thomas. And Michael Thomas. And, and even Deontay Harris is kind of like that. He's like the, the poor man's okay, space creator. Say, but... One thing that I learned from I mean, the Saints in this game is I never want to see Taysom Hill take a snap at quarterback again. Never. Ever. Uh, yeah, stop letting just him stop throw doing the ball. It. Just stop doing it. Never. I never want to see him throw the ball again. Again, I said this. I just, he just ruins stuff. I say this he all the time. Taysom Hill life. is if Tim Tebow got picked by Sean Payton instead of by the Broncos. He's Tim Tebow. I mean, yeah, you cannot I mean, tell what me. He is. They paid $50 million for a quarterback who can't throw and is a gunner on the punt team. Are you serious? Yeah. He's a, he's That's a what he team guard. That's what he is. And you can't – if you bring him in, like you said, it affects the flow of the game, and it essentially just throws off any rhythm Drew Brees had. Sure, he can get it back because he's Drew Brees, but for what? For why are you bringing in Taysom Hill at quarterback? I think – Yeah, I, I don't I don't ever get it. I mean, it's it's stupid. I think to start keep bringing him in at quarterback. If you're going to bring him on like tight end or running back or something and try and mix things up, sure. But you you can't be taking Drew Brees out the game for Taysom Hill. Like, Stop see, doing it. I don't want to see him throw he the ball. He can't throw the football. The Saints will be moving on to the divisional round and moving on to our last game of wild card round. The Pittsburgh Steelers at home against the Cleveland Browns without their head coach, without all-pro guard Joel Batonio without their starting corners. And I'll say this. I've never seen a team go out and die like I saw Pittsburgh did that first quarter. It was. They are. They are down. Especially they're, they're down the offense, back. man. That offense. Until late in the game after when Cleveland started playing prevent offense, that's when the Steelers' offense started to get going. But we can't, we can't legitimately yeah, I mean, judge Cleveland's defense off this game because the game was over by halftime. I mean, it was 35-7. And at some point, if you're the Steelers, Big Ben is going to cost you $41 million in cap space next year if he doesn't retire. You need a quarterback because Big Ben is not it anymore. He can't throw the ball deep, and when he doesn't, when he does throw the ball deep, he's making terrible decisions. That last interception to Takitaki, he threw it right to him. I mean, yeah, I mean, he he threw it right. He, he literally just gave him the ball. It's like he handed and the football. They off. can't he's run the ball, so you can't disguise that with running the ball. Their best options on offense were. Throwing the short plays, throwing it short, but you can't do that down thirty. You have to try and score. So they came out in the no huddle, four minute offense, down twenty eight in the first quarter. And I mean, if you look at Cle- if you look at Pittsburgh's offense going into the future, Juju's going to be a free agent. Um, Big Ben 
we talked about Big Ben. Their offensive line, I think three of their five starters are going to be free agents and are also getting old. And this old. <laughs> this might be this might be declining. This is going down that that window of a Super Bowl for the Steelers. Yeah. I think that window started closing in 2017 when they lost to Jacksonville. That window started getting closed in. That was the best Steelers team that they had. And they got outplayed by yeah. Blake Bortles, which even as a Jaguars fan, I cannot explain to you. But if you look at the Steelers now, where where can they go with this on offense? I think the answer here is you try and trade for Sam Darnold. You try and hope that you can salvage Sam Darnold. And you hope that you can do something on offense. Your defense is fine. Your defense is great. You have one of the best defensive linemen in football. You can, you can win on defense. But, you know, defense is only going to get you so far in the NFL now. You're going to have to try and score some points consistently and not go down 28 nothing. I mean, you in a thought game. from the jump from this game, the Steelers were outmatched, especially on offense. I mean, when your first four drives go bad snap into the end zone for a touchdown, a pick, a punt, then a pick, you can't – I mean, you can't win like that. And Finkner deserves a whole lot of blame. And I think he should be fired because that offense is absolutely yeah. terrible. But they're not built for success short term. And that's going to – and especially at quarterback. Again, I, I, don't, I think Big Ben is cooked. He, he can't anymore. Oh, for sure. I but think he's cooked. I, talking about Cleveland – my goodness, what they did in the run game. That offensive line, missing Jack Conklin for the second half of the game, missing Joel Batonio, and missing their other guard who got hurt. They pulled in a guy that they just signed like a couple weeks ago, and they dominated in the run game. Wyatt Teller, who's one of the best guards in the league, was destroying people. They had Njoku engaging on offense in the run game. This team is legit on offense. I think they are very legit in terms of they got they got a line who can run the ball. They got two guys in the backfield who can legit go over a hundred, and it's going to be fun to see them next round. This team has more than a legitimate shot. I think to beat the Chiefs. I know how crazy that sounds, but I think that they have the perfect kind of way to play the game in a sense where you can take the ball out of the hands of yeah, uh, I was what's his name? Uh, Patrick Mahomes. Got, got I forget the name of fucking Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> <laughs> that 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 guy who's really good at football. Yeah, what's his name again? No, uh, he, they they can play a way where they can almost take the ball out of the hands of Patrick Mahomes and you know, force it to where the way that the Chiefs are going to have to win this game is to score on every single drive, which, yes, they can do. But, I mean, it wouldn't I, shock me if they beat the Chiefs. I would be Chiefs. shocked. And I can't believe I'm putting that Chiefs, out. But like Personally, because I think as much as we say you have to run the ball and, like, keep the Chiefs off the field, Baker Mayfield's going to have to make some throws. He's going to have to make some throws. 
especially yeah. They're, he's going to have to make some passes because I don't think that they're going to have like a huge lead in this game where he can kind of sit back and hand the ball off. He's got to make those pressure throws late in the game, third down, and win the game for them. I'm not saying he has to throw the ball 70 times a game or 70 times, but he's going to have to do it. He's going to have to do it. Make that. And so I think, I think what we'll see them do early against the Chiefs is try and get Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt settled, try and get them in a groove, and then I think what you have to do is do short, easy throws for Baker Mayfield till he gets comfortable, then you try and spread the field. I, I think you just got to try and grind this game out and hope. And There's not I much else to them do. Defensively, um, you need Miles Garrett to have another Miles Garrett-type game, which is, can clearly happen. He was kind of quiet during the Steelers game, but that's because they were throwing three people at him. But you're going to have to get pressure, and Miles Garrett is the perfect guy to do that. But if I were to ask you, or if I'm asking you, which team do you think is on – which of the higher seeds – because which upper seed – excuse me, I can't even talk today. Which upper seed is on upset alert going into the divisional round? I think it's the Bills. I think what you were really seeing the the Ra- the Ravens get into a groove, figure out how to play their game, and if they go out there and they you look they they can't start slow like they did against Tennessee, but if they start fast, this game could quickly get out of hand for the Bills. And you know we could be talking about a situation where they're down two scores, maybe even like a low three scores, like seventeen points, and it's part of the game where. You just can't do that against the Ravens because I think that they're going to play well on defense again. And Baker Mayfield or Lamar Jackson. I also go with the Bills. And I actually think the Ravens are going to win this game because I think Wink Martindale is going to call some blitzes and basically say, hey, if you beat us, cool. But we're going to put you under pressure. And Josh Allen, like most quarterbacks, it's not yeah. good under pressure. That's not a knock on like Josh Allen. I'm not saying he's a bad quarterback. I think he's played phenomenal this year. But under pressure, he has not been as great. I think Wink Martindale is one of the most creative defensive minds in the NFL right now in terms of calling blitzes and whoever brings it. And I think that's gonna that might be the difference in the game. I think the, the Ravens are – the hottest team in the NFL right now. That is firing on all cylinders. Oh, for sure. Their run game is running people over, which is shocking, not shocking to say, but surprising considering that Ronnie Stanley is not playing. They moved Orlando Brown from right tackle to left tackle. And what they do, I don't know. They just led the NFL in rushing. They had like over 4,000 yards running the ball. And Lamar Jackson had over a thousand by himself. And still, they can hit you with Lamar Jackson running the ball, J.K. Dobbins running the ball, Gus Edwards running the ball. They can have Hollywood Brown on those jet motions. There are so many elements to their run game that I think they're going to put those intermediate defenders, those linebackers, they're going to put them in a blender. I think the Bills are heavy on upset alert. But 
I would say I would say the other team is obviously the Buccaneers, but I I just have problems with their their uh, pass defense. That I don't know if they can stop Mike Thomas and See, Alvin Kamara through the pass way, game. I think. I mean, I think the Buccaneers are going to win because. I don't. I, I I I see the Saints winning this game, not comfortably, but and I don't know. I see them I think the I game. trust Tom Brady right now more than Drew Brees right now. I think they're going to come in with a plan of they're just going to make Drew Brees beat us with five yard out. We're going to play man. If we beat us, cool. If not, then we're going to win this game. And I, New Orleans secondary has shown yeah, holes. I mean, in communication, um, I don't think yeah. Quan Alexander has played especially great at linebacker. Demario Davis is still one of the best backers in the league, but I think that the Buccaneers are going to win this game. The other two games, I if I think it's going to be Packers and Chiefs, or they're going to win. I think the Packers, the Packers might win pretty comfortably. Yeah, I mean, but it's going to be fun to see uh, Jalen Ramsey against uh, Devontae Adams. Which might legit be my favorite one-on-one matchup of the weekend, but yeah, yeah. that's gonna conclude our NFL talk for this episode. But moving on into college football, there's a pretty big game going on. Wait, real quick, real quick, we're gonna yeah, take we'll a break. break. I am gonna break. charge my phones at like three percent. We're gonna take a break to, record, to charge our phones and computers. But we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Bench Warmers Podcast Part 2. This is a two-part series today. First, we talked about the NFL. And then we got a pretty big game, Kevin. We got a pretty big college football game today, if you haven't heard. Yeah. Pretty important. I, I guess it's pretty important, considering the circumstances. But if you haven't heard, tonight is the national championship game between the Alabama Crimson Tide and the Ohio State Buckeyes. Now, both teams come in off of dominating wins. Alabama ho-humming themselves to a 31-14 to victory over Notre Dame. And Ohio State dropping touchdowns all over the Sugar Bowl against Clemson in a 49-28 victory. And they'll meet again in Miami for the national title. Kevin, what do you think about the game? Uh, I feel bad for one person in particular, and that's Sean Wade. Sean Wade, we're all praying for you today during your tough time of oh, having man. to guard the Heisman Trophy winner. Um, we'll good we'll do the Kyrie Irving. We'll spread some sage around Hard Rock Stadium before you get there. I, I just want it to be publicly known. I, I looked this up on uh, PFF, and uh, Sean Wade isn't exactly good. <laughs> Not this year. He, he was a slot corner playing on the outside, which they kind of did out of necessity. But man, John Wade, John Wade has been targeted 50 times this season. He has allowed 33 completions. That is a 66% completion rate against him. This is not the game where you want guys coming out of position, especially at defensive back. Because you know what Alabama's going to do? They're going to bring their buzzsaw, which is Devontae Smith 20 times, John Mechie 15 times, and oh yeah, Jalen Waddle. Likely to play, according to a report. So they're just getting all the infinity stones back together and putting the infinity gauntlet on Matt Jones' right hand and just saying, hey, man, good luck. Just throw it to him. 
It you don't have to be Tua, you don't have to be Joe Burrow. Just throw them the ball. It doesn't matter. They'll they'll be open. But yeah. this game is I think this game is going to be decided for Ohio State in the trenches. They have yeah. a very good offensive line, both teams. Um Wyatt Davis for Ohio State, one of the better interior linemen in the uh college football landscape and in the upcoming draft. And what they do so well is their split zone running game where they bring the tight end across is so good. And Trey Sermon is so good at being that one cut back. And he's become, if you want to compare this team to Ohio State teams in the past, he's their Zeke Elliott that year they won the title. He's come into his own at the right time. So I think if they can run the ball effectively, if Trey Sermon can run the ball and that sets up their play action, then, yeah, Ohio State has a chance on offense. But a lot of points are going to be scored. I think a lot of points are going to be scored. The The biggest problem here is that I think that just from the, the, the core part of it is that obviously one team's going to be outmatched here, and that's Ohio State. And so they're going to have to try and figure out a way to not be outmatched and not and avoid turnovers and avoid mistakes because if you get mistakes you are screwed especially against a team like Alabama who can capitalize on mistakes very damn easily I think one of the biggest things they have to do is they have to play with tempo but it's not like the UCF tempo where it's like everybody's going fast every single play Every single time, snap the ball within like five seconds. It's more controlled tempo. So where like yeah. it's like it's Ole Miss. Yeah, with Ole Miss, what they did against Alabama, where they absolutely, they almost had the best offensive game plan that I've seen against Alabama. Granted, it was early in the season; they were playing a lot of freshmen on Alabama's defense. But what they did so well is they controlled their tempo. After a big play, they were quick to set up. They were going to catch them off guard. Ohio State did that so well against Clemson. They went with quick huddles. They hurried up after big plays. So if they can do that, they can they can shorten that gap. And, like, Alabama's just better than everybody. But you have to make those concessions where you have to go – you have to get every single advantage that you can against Alabama. Yeah, and you're going to have to make sure that you can do it consistently. It, it, you, this can't just be a one-quarter thing or a two-quarter thing or, you know, you, you do it at spurts. You're going to have to be able to do it consistently because Alabama can jump ahead very damn quickly. They proved that against Notre Dame. They've proven that all season. This offense isn't just some random offense. This is arguably the best offense in college football. And they're not losing their offensive coordinator because Steve Sarkeesian still coaching this game. I mean, good luck. Yeah, it's going to be a uh, – I think it's going to be a rough game for Ohio State defense. But I think it might be a rough game for Alabama oh, defense. Because, I mean, I, their defense is their weak spot of the team. It helps when you can score 55 points consistently because you have <laughs> one of the two best wide receivers in college football and, you know, a god at running back. I mean, the most talented quarterback that – 
Ohio, that Alabama seen this year. And I don't think it's very close, Justin Fields. And I think he can will them. I think he can will Ohio State to a lot of points. But I just think Alabama's too explosive on offense. Yeah. But um, we were kind of talking about it in our – talking about what we're going to do on the show, and we kind of wanted to change it up. So with – I'm a huge WWE fan, and upcoming is the Royal Rumble. And my question, and it's for listeners and for you, Kevin, what college football coach would you pick to win a Royal Rumble? Oh, you got to throw them over the top rope. Ooh, Jesus. Um, so I think like the obvious thing is it's going to have to be a coach who's played recently. I mean, you're going to have to try and get that advantage athletically. That's why like Nick Saban isn't going to win. Uh, although I think Nick Saban would just cheat his way to it. So maybe he would. Um, <laughs> I just wanted to throw the cheat session there. Uh, God. Okay, so I'll let you know my pick. Yes, my yes, pick. Is Pat Fitzgerald, Northwestern? That man will cut his finger off to win football games. He is the Mike Vrabel. He will stop at nothing to win. And I never, I'll never go against former players, especially in a Royal Rumble, especially in fighting, because as much as long as they've been away from the game, the game ain't never going away from them. They'll still, they'll still want to fight somebody. And Pat Fitzgerald is that guy. And it's so funny that he's the coach of Northwestern, that he's the crappy fight guy. But Pat Fitzgerald is definitely my pick. Um, I think you get could go Pat Narduzzi at Pitt. Narduzzi would definitely be a good one. Um, obviously, you throw in the swamp monster that is um, Ed Orgeron. I think he just intimidate people. And he moves in strong. He is he is strong. He is not some weak man. There's that's Louisiana strong. That's country strength, and you don't mess with country strength. Um, you know, I would be kind of intrigued to see. Uh, and this is kind of one that I think is a sleeper pick, because the whole point of the Royal Rumble isn't it's not to get as much eliminations. It's just to stay in. Yeah. It's to be smart. It's to be cunning. It's to take some short some shortcuts. And you know the first person I think of when you talk about taking shortcuts as a head coach in college football? Lane oh, Kiffin. God. I'm going Lane Kiffin as the winner of the Royal Rumble. That's all you got to do is survive. He'll make alliances with other people. Then last second, boom, toss him over. So I'm going to go with an underrated one here, and it's one of the newer head coaches in college football, Clark Leia. He's a two-sport athlete, used to be a fullback. I mean, he's pretty yeah. young. He's 38 years old. He's I mean, not only is he athletic enough to, I think, stay in, but he's also athletic enough to get some people out, which is pretty important. So um, I, I, look, I'm so mad that Derek Mason got fired because Derek Mason oh, yeah. Derek Mason was surefire. One of the first people <laughs> I go with. Um, I'd also go, I also might go Lovey Smith if he was still coaching because he got old man strength. Yeah, he, like, he wouldn't have been a bad one either. And I think there are probably some group of five coaches that we're just forgetting. But I kind of want to uh, – what's BYU's head coach? Kalani Satake? Yeah, it's like Satake or something. 
Oh, you know what? I got it. Luke Fickle and Jeremy Chadwell. Jeremy Chadwell. Ooh. Again, Coastal Carolina, country. They got country strength. Jeremy Chadwell coaches a bunch of dudes with mullets. They don't care. They will fight you in the parking lot of a Denny's at 2 a.m. in South Carolina. That's how much they don't care. You can tell by the mullets. And Luke Fickle, I think, is just a madman. Yeah, Luke, so, Luke Fickle will just do whatever the hell he wants. Oh, wait. Maybe Greg Schiano. And he's still the head coach at Rutgers. Yeah, he is. There you go. That's my pick. Greg Schiano, Captain Insano himself. <laughs> Greg Schiano is my pick to win the college football coach's Royal Rumble. Because Greg Schiano would do some fucked up shit to win, too. He will do anything to win, but he also will beat you up in a three in three a.m. at Denny's. So you get the best of both worlds. I do think Kalani Satake was a really good shout because he is built, big dude. I mean, God, if I if, if I was in the same room as him, I just kind of let it beat me up. I'd go, okay, yep, yep, go ahead. You got this. You got that. You got it. But um. I wish he were a head coach so bad, but I pick him. Brent Venables would be such a good pick in this. Oh, he would just be so smart. He'd be smart, but he's also crazy. <laughs> like you need a get back. He needs a get back coach around him at all times because he is crazy. So I think he'd be a good pick if he was a head coach. But yeah, I think, I think I'm sticking think with that. Follow up for this is who would win in the NFL Royal Rumble? Oh, I already know who I choose NFL Royal Rumble. Brian Flores. Yeah, I I don't think there's any other option. There's no other option. Look, Mike Vrabel said he would cut off his penis for a Super Bowl victory. I'm not messing with a man who would do that. Brian Flores is good. Brian Flores is crazy. What he (laughs) against Cincinnati? He wanted to fight with you. You are a coach. I mean. That's really, I guess with NFL, I go Mike Rabel or Brian Flores. It's really the, those are really the only two. And if you want to go, shockingly, they're the two Patriots disciples. So yeah, but I think if you want to go cunning, I think the leader of the Death Star himself, uh, Bill Belichick, might be a good pick. Because See, he's cunning. Bill, Bill Belichick would just recruit some players to do it for him. <laughs> See. That's what you gotta do. You don't you don't gotta be the one to fight. You just gotta get the good people around you. But uh my second question for you, we'll put these polls up on Twitter. Um, or we'll ask on Twitter as well. If they were to make a grand theft auto for any college football town, where would you want the grand theft auto to be to take place in? Part of me wants it in Baton Rouge just because you know how funny that'd be. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! <laughs> Can you imagine? Nine one one. Hello, nine one one. Yeah, somebody eating some eight two three and stole some knees <laughs> from out the restaurant. <laughs> Got a dude driving in a pickup truck, butt naked, with a pack back of beignets in the truck. <laughs> Okay, so for mine, I got two. 
One is Conway, South Carolina. Oh, Coastal Carolina Chanticleers. I love it. <laughs> you know how fun that would be? <laughs> you know how wild Conway, South Carolina would be? Dude, imagine. You know, this is this is an underrated one, and it is also in Louisiana, but you could technically do one in New Orleans because Tulane University is located in Ooh. New Orleans. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh. My first pick was actually Gainesville, Florida. Oh, boy. If you ever know, if you ever lived in Gainesville, Florida, you know Gainesville, Florida. My question is, what would be the most? I've, I lived in Gainesville, Florida for pretty much almost my whole life. Um, I've seen alligators walking down the street to Winn-Dixie. Um, there have been heroin stings in Gainesville. Oh, there have been meth stings in perfect. Gainesville. But that is exactly what you're going to get from Gainesville, Florida, along with the occasional Saturday football game. <laughs> Everybody is hopped up on meth and Mike's Hard Lemonade. And, of course, chaos is going to break out. But I think it is. Pick is Conway, South Carolina. <laughs> I think I, I think, uh, I think an underrated question here is what would be the worst city to hold a GTA in? <laughs> the worst city to hold GTA in? Oh, man. Um, I go with a couple, and there's one. One is kind of just like because there's nothing that you could do there. And the other is because it, there's too many people. Now, the one where I say there's nothing to do there, University of Kansas. Yeah. There's nothing. There's no crime to get into in University of Kansas. <laughs> but the yeah, I would be stealing alcohol from the dorms. Too many people, USC and UCLA. Los Angeles, we, know, we already have a GTA 5. We already have a GTA in Los Angeles or in the California area. I don't, don't want, I don't want a GTA for college campuses like that because they're not too close. And also, and also, um, yeah, there's too many people around. Way too many. Um, ooh, what would be another college town? That'd be a good uh, GTA. Tuscaloosa, Alabama. <laughs> Tuscaloosa, Alabama. You have to deal with the regular crime. You got to deal with the KKK too. <laughs> and the League of the South, who wants to see <laughs> from the union. That is a perfect mix of all things crime related. Now make that a good GTA. <laughs> I think an underrated one is Tallahassee because who the hell knows what, what's going on in Tallahassee? Oh, Lord, Tallahassee would be insane. You know what? It would either be you could it would either be atrocious uh, or it would be great. And I want to see. Uh, I would say University of Miami, but that's not really Miami. That's more like Coral Gables. Yeah, that, you can't really say Miami. Um, like even even FIU is not really Miami, so you're just kind of not getting Miami here. Uh, let's see. What are some other ones? Oh, the Northeast is always an underrated option. <laughs> Hold on. I think I got it. I got it. Morgantown, West Virginia. <laughs> you do not want to be in a GTA for Morgantown, West Virginia. Because they <laughs> on site. They have the old school 1812 rifle. 
sitting on the porch drinking moonshine. That is what I'm going to assume is in that mason jar. <laughs> it might not be. Who not, knows? Not be afraid to shoot you. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, we're gonna I, put all these on Twitter. We're gonna put all of our submissions for it on Twitter. But I think that's a great way, a fun way to wrap up the show. <laughs> also, also, uh, one more. If we're going FCS and we're allowing FCS schools, let's not discount Fargo, North Dakota as a fun one. Ooh. Because, again, who the hell knows what's going on in Fargo, North Dakota? Half the Nobody. <laughs> I also submit uh, Montana. University of Montana. Ooh. Yeah. Because there's nothing else to do with Montana but commit <laughs> Ain't nothing else to do. You can go away with Grand Theft Auto in Montana. But probably not because there are like 12 people in Montana. So you probably just end up stealing your neighbor's car. (laughs) (laughs) You know what would be a good one? Eugene, Oregon. And the reason I say that now is because the state of Oregon has made drug use legal. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. So now you get a whole mix of everything. Not to mention, imagine like, I imagine that people who watch Oregon games and think they're on LSD, but that's just the Oregon uniforms. Yeah. But that would be a fun GTA. But I think that's a great way to wrap up yeah. this episode. We started off talking about the NFL, ended with Royal Rumbles, GTAs and moonshine. So if you want more of this, make sure to follow us on Twitter at Acosta32 underscore JP for me. And at the Kevin Fielder for me. Yep. Well don't go Scott Hill from here. I'm warning you. Let's <laughs> <laughs> look out for this show on Spotify, App Podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to like it, subscribe. Follow because we definitely have some more content coming up, some great stuff <laughs> on the way, some crazy conversations like this. <laughs> I think that's going to do it for us. Have a great rest of the day. <laughs>